Content warning, genetic manipulation, slavery, racist paranoia, white supremacy, and revolution! Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Automation, the future of society. In the early years of the 20th century, mankind looks towards a time when machines will do our work for us. Imagine a whole breed of perfect servants, tireless and uncomplaining, to cook your meals and clean your clothes, to work in your factories and till your fields, freeing humans from the drudgery of labor. Well, here at Rossum's Universal Robots, the dream is now the reality. Robots, the new breed of artificial workers. Here at Rossum, we've perfected a scientific formula for creating life and shaping it as we will, crafting a creature in the image of a man, but leaving out the unneeded emotions and desires that impair efficiency. Nor will robots ever disobey or resent their masters. They are the perfect workers. Nothing can possibly go wrong. In 1920, over a hundred years after Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, Czech writer Karol Kapek wrote another story about man's creations rising up against him. The play, R-U-R, stood for Rossum's Universal Robots, and the word robot, first introduced here, quickly entered the language. It's also, if not the first, then surely one of the most influential versions of a story that would become a bedrock of science fiction, the Robot Rebellion. Just as humans have always dreamed of creating artificial life, they've always feared that their creations would turn on and enslave them in turn, perhaps even supplanting them as the dominant life on Earth. Welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm Adam Prosser, as always. With me is Phil Rice. Hello. Hello. And uh, our special guest today, again, is uh, Jess Nevins. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Jess. As always, great to have you on the show. Well, good. And uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. And uh, yeah, as always, uh, so as I've mentioned, we are going to be talking about uh, RUR, which is a significant uh, piece of literature uh, for science fiction because it introduced the word robot to uh, the vernacular and uh, it seems to have set the stage for a lot of the, uh, the, the, the bedrock of, uh, you know, robot science fiction. Uh, maybe, uh, so that'd be my first question for Jess. Um, are there any sort of uh, stories about robots well first of all the idea of robots as we know them do they ever predate this particular uh this particular play well it depends how you define robot um <clears throat> you've got artificial life forms in various shapes going back to the greek myths uh, Hephaestus, the or Vulcan, the Greek Roman god of 
uh, engineering and artifice uh, had is said by Aeschylus or Homer or I, I can't remember which one exactly, but he he's got automaton automata servants, and in in Jason and the Argonauts, uh, one of their opponents is the um, is the android Talos, right, and so you've got those in Greek mythology and then running through the dark ages and middle ages, you've got all these stories about um, moving statues and Mm. most of them are not sentient in any way. They're just magic, but occasionally you do get the story of a, a sentient statue of a horseman who patrols the streets of one of the French cities. I can't remember which, uh, after, after hours, basically enforcing justice and solving crimes. Um, and then up in the 16th century, you've got, uh, Edmund Spencer's the fairy queen, which has another, um, has a artificial knight, um, Talos. Oh, right. Talos or Talos. I think, think Spencer, I think the fairy queen is Talos and the Greek myth is Talos. I could be, I huh. could have it backwards though. The Greek myth is definitely Talos. Okay. I then it's that one for sure. Talos. Um, okay. but he's, he's an iron man, literally. Hmm. That, that's what he's called. And so you've got this, and he's he's there to pursue justice, and he falls in, in love with one of the other characters. So from there, science fiction writers of the 17th, 18th, 19th century were basically imitating Talus or Spencer's creation when they wrote about artificial beings. At the same time, hmm. in the Jewish myths, you had the stories of the golem. And that right. sort of led to Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, in the 19th century, led to stories of biological, artificial life forms. Um, meanwhile, you had other authors taking their cues from Talus and telling stories of moving statues that are sentient or um, knights in bell, uh, cast cast iron knights in bell towers. That was one of Hawthorne's stories, I think. And then in the late 19th century, you've got, you've got a variety of stories about artificial life forms, some of which are androids and, and human shaped and some aren't. Uh, there's an 1898 um, novel called The Mexican Mystery, which is about a sentient locomotive which rebels against its master and in the and eventually it runs amok and then runs wild and runs off into the wilderness and is never seen again. In the sequel, it the locomotive sparks a worldwide rebellion of all... Hmm mechanical devices and so that's where i'd put the not it put one of the first robot rebellions it's not as 
influential as R.U.R., but it was it did precede it. Um, huh. Yeah. Who who was the author of that one again? W. Grove, about whom no William Grove, about whom nothing is known. <laughs> okay. Uh, American writer or British or British? I guess nothing is known. <laughs> okay. Why was it called the Mexican mystery? It was set in Mexico, and it the big mystery is about what is causing the death of all these uh, people along the side of the. Um, Okay, William Grove, about whom nothing is known apart from his British citizenship. So he wasn't American, he was British. It's, it's okay. set, in, set in Mexico, and lots of people are dying, and nobody knows why, even though to the reader it's obvious that the locomotive is doing it. And <laughs> eventually, to everyone's shock and horror, it's revealed that the, the locomotive itself is aware and is throwing people into its feeder and, and burning them up to make steam and all that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. So, and that was, what What year was that, did you say? 1898. 18, 1898. Okay, so that's, that's uh, yeah, that's a bit before RUR for certain. Uh, I should talk, I should just mention. Oh, uh, one second. Yeah, there were ahead. also uh, automatons in the coming race, which we'll be talking about next oh, episode. right. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, they're barely described though. Yeah, but they are artificial, uh, human-like uh, hmm. machines. Well, yeah, as you say, I mean, there's, there's, it, it clearly goes back to like just as a fantastical thing, uh, golems and homunculi, uh, and we should mention that in R.U.R. for those of you who aren't aware of it, uh, it was a play. It was written in 1920, as I mentioned, um, and it is, um, it, it, it's about a uh, a factory in the near future that produces. Uh, uh, robots, but robots in this play are not uh, mechanical men. Uh, they are biologically created, uh, or actually chemically created, according to the play, <laughs> uh, using and also a, assembled. Yeah, they are assembled. Right. So uh, it describes a bone factory, vats of liver and brain, right, uh, and spinning mills for nerve fibers, veins, intestines, and so on. Right. Right. So it's you. you it basically, it's sort of they found a chemical formula for some kind of protoplasm, which you can then grow into the material uh, to create to then spin. Lit they literally talk about like knitting flesh yeah. and things uh, on the factory machines uh and um it's it's uh it's interesting in the, i it actually reminded me of the opening of the show westworld actually uh, when i saw when i saw that i was like oh yeah it's got the same kind of you know knitting flesh together um but, but yeah it's not it's not quite a genetic engineering because they didn't know about that yet so. right but well, it's it's well, a similar in theory right you could say genetic engineering in a sense because mm -hmm. it's it's it, you know they they chalked everything up to chemistry back then. It was like yeah. Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde would drink a magic formula and it turned him into whatever. Uh, and it should be noted also. So as I say, the word robot came from here. Uh, but you might have heard that that's Czech for slave. Uh, apparently, it's not. Uh, it's a neologism. Uh, robota means forced labor in Czech. Uh, and robot is just the uh, the deriv derivation of that. Uh, and Jess, you were actually mentioning androids uh, a minute ago, uh, and I was actually surprised to find out that that predates the term robot, <laughs> from what I can tell. Right. Um. um the it, it came from the French Andre Android Andreid A N D R E I D E, which was in this mm -hmm. 1872 play by Vier Vier de Lille Adam about an artificial 
humanoid called uh, Eve of hmm. the Future. Ah, okay. Seems to be a common theme. Yeah, that's uh, that. It seems like in mid, late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries, you keep going back to Adam and Eve, and 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 uh, yeah. It, of course, in R.U.R., what eventually happens? Of course, there's a lot of assurance. Uh, the play is as um, about uh, a woman coming from the the Humanity League. Is that what she's called? Yeah. Uh, and she's but she's coming to fight for the the rights of robots because she believes they're unjustly enslaved with some validity. Uh, but the the uh, general manager Harry Doman kind of talks uh, talk circles around her and shows how they don't want anything. They don't care. They don't feel pain. They don't feel they don't oh, get tired. Yeah. You know, they have nothing that. Uh, sorry, did you want to say something, Phil? Oh, uh, I was just uh, thinking they do eventually engineer pain into them to ensure that they don't injure themselves on the job right that came a little later though, yeah right that's not the initial setup yeah and uh so of course he's sort of saying and and of course it sounds very much like what we would think of as an uh, a, a mechanical robot but they are organic in this in this edition as i say um and anyway so they they <laughs> rather absurdly uh he sort of he, he puts her completely off balance to the point and then finally proposes to her <laughs> having just met her at the beginning of the play <laughs> at the beginning of the scene and then she ends agrees to marry him and then uh but then uh, as the play goes on you know robots have become prevalent the human birth rate is dropping and um and uh, she then basically decides robots were a mistake. She she sabotaged them in a number of ways, including destroy the formula, but also convincing the engineer to to let them feel like resentment and emotion, basically. So the, and of course, so that leads to them rising up in what really feels a lot like a socialist uprising, <laughs> and was probably uh, inspired by that since it was written in 1920. It, would you would you say that's fair to say, Jess, that it was uh, <laughs> tapping into the politics of the time? Oh, it's definitely passing into the politics, but the criticism I've read of it, it's it's both a criticism of uh, RUR is both a criticism of capitalism and a criticism of the dangers of socialist re- revolution. So you've right. you've got a socialist revolution, but it ends up with most of humanity wiped out. So I think right. I think Capek or how is his last name pronounced Chapek? Uh, I I think it's I think it's Capek. I think there's a hard C. Yeah, yeah. Capek was uh, sort of criticizing the techno euphoria of the time and the the socialist revolution and saying there's got to be a better way than than the capitalism communism dichotomy that we're presented with. So yes, definitely right. political. Capek uh, wrote a uh, essay called "Why I'm Not a Communist," right? Um, which initially surprised me because the play has very um, sort of socialist uh, overtones. Mm-hmm. But uh, the essay, um, I was a little confused by some of his points. But basically, uh, can you describe it, Adam? Well, I I, I found that yeah, I, I saw where he was coming from. It was essentially. He seemed to be sympathetic to the goals of communism, but at the same time feeling, and this was, of course, written after the Bolshevik Revolution, and he was very much going, uh, oh, yeah, the, you know, the, the, they don't really, you know, they're all dogmatic, and it's all about ideology for them, and they, they talk about revolution in 20 years while, you know, stepping over starving men in the street, which... It may or may not be fair. I don't know exactly what the historical tenet are of the times. That seems like a fair criticism of 
like Leninist communists who were very much like against senti- bourgeois sentiment, and they didn't, you know, they they were they were much more fixated on fixing the structures and the institutions rather than helping people out right this moment. Uh, so I think that was his big criticism of of, of communism at that time. Um, uh, I have a friend, uh, Andrew Hickey, who who wrote uh, something about RUR, and he mentioned that he felt uh, Capek's political mindset might have been something of what was termed in England, or in the Western world, uh, distributism, uh, which is essentially kind of a Catholic version of uh, communism, where it's not breaking down the structures and it's not breaking down uh the you know the 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 monarchy or the theocracy or anything uh but it does say yeah everyone should have the ability to earn uh their own it's almost a return to feudalism but without the lord so much as (laughs) you know everyone has their own farm and can make their own cloth and grow their own crops and everyone can can uh, can have the means of production of their own small homestead basically uh it's a strange philosophy it's still out there but it seems to be an attempt to strike a middle ground between socialism, no wipe away the world order and have it all this way, and you know capitalism, which is as we all know. Um, so I thought that was an interesting way to, to phrase what he was looking at because he's clearly, you know, he he sees capitalism as a problem, but he sees uh, you know socialism as having a lot of inherent issues as well. Basically, he he, he believes in it's not he, he he sort of accuses the communists of wanting to do away with human feeling almost that that that's almost the point of the play i would say would you agree yeah oh uh sorry i wanted to yeah go ahead jess sorry no i i was gonna say yeah i i think there's for all the the condemnation of capitalist exploitation of the worker and and the robots there's definitely a a counter warning against the 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 pure ideology, all ideology types of communists that were emerging right in the wake of the Bolshevik revolution. So yes, I I agree, definitely agree with that. Yeah, I almost feel like um, the robots are communists, not just that they're the workers, but they're literally like, we are the new generation. Because I know a big thing in that era was that communists were sort of, we are the we are the future, we are the new civilization. They really wanted to completely rebuild civilization, and they were all very futuristic. Uh, you know, they believed in, oh, this is what the new the new world is going to be like, and we're going to have techno cities. And, and all of, a lot of our ideas of, you know, techno techno-utopianism seemed to basically come from communism and socialism at the turn of the century. Uh, what were you going to say, Phil? Sorry, you had something there. Oh, just one point in the essay that uh, uh, bugged me, I suppose. Uh, when he said that uh, if the rich were attacking the poor, he'd side with the poor. Mm-hmm. But it sort of ignores that that right. is happening. Yeah. I mean, it, with the benefit of hindsight, it was actually, I think it was a pretty insightful essay at the time. But the benefit of hindsight, it's possible to sort of look back at it and say, you know, yeah, well, I think you may be, uh, you, 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 he, he was a little disingenuous about the fact that he's a religious guy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't mention that in the essay. And that was one of his problems with communism. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's politics. Hey, everyone. <laughs> you're going to have that kind of uh, attitude. But the play basically ends with uh, the robots discovering love, and that's sort of the thing that's going to save them and let them become the new race that will take over uh, 
but again, it was this idea that, well, a new form of humanity is coming literally in the form of robots, but they have to discover love and emotion and feeling or it's not, it's all going to be for naught. That was kind of the, the attitude I saw from that. Um, I should mention, so obviously this uh, play, it was pretty popular, right, Jess? Like it was very, it yeah. was a very big deal at the time, right? Yeah, it was put on repeatedly in the 20s and and into the 40s. Oh, okay. So there you go. And and uh, I know that, um, of course, uh, a lot of people, you could argue that most robot fiction since then is kind of responding to this. Uh, I know Isaac Asimov specifically, uh, he criticized the play pretty harshly. Um, and in fact, his, uh, robots books that he wrote about iRobot and so on were, I think specifically responding to RUR, uh, am I, or am I nuts about that, Jess? Is that, is that true? Um, I didn't, I didn't know, uh, that he had, he had criticized the play, uh, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but then I never really felt that his robots were... It, it's a problem with a lot of early science or golden age science fiction. It's the aliens aren't really alien. Asimov's mm. robots aren't really robotic so much as differently viewpointed humans. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I can, I can see where he's writing in response to Capac and R U R. I'm not sure how successful he was at it. But I can. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I. I, I thought. Um, I actually. To me, Asimov is kind of putting aside the political aspect of it, and specifically dealing with the logistics of well, what if you had this tireless race of workers and and uh, and op and operatives and you know robots as we know them and he was kind of looking at the logistics of how would you keep them under control or not because he is somewhat sympathetic to uh, the robots no to me um yeah he's almost because it's funny i feel like asimov is more sympathetic to the robots than uh capek is in mm -hmm. some ways i was expecting re going into this uh when i read the play that capek would be like oh those poor robots are being downtrodden by the humans and the humans represent you know the capital classes and everything like that but you read the play and it really is like well the robots are bad in their own way kind of mm -hmm. that's almost the attitude i got from it um they very emotionlessly uh, wipe out humanity. Right, exactly. Like they just exterminate them. Yeah, once they're in power, um, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, it, there's no sort of, well, yeah, like the character who comes in feeling sympathy for the robots is almost made to look ridiculous that she has sympathy for the robots. Um, and whereas Asimov, when he's writing about the robots, and so many other people since then have kind of gone, well, you know when you're writing about robots, <laughs> you're, you, you know, you, you are in some ways, as you mentioned, Jess, they're kind of, um, in some ways it's a sublimation of our feelings towards, well, especially in the West towards like slavery, uh, you know, things like that. This idea of, you know, Hey, wouldn't it be great if someone would just take care of all this for me? Right. <laughs> and it's kind of, whether you've got the different classes or whether you've got you know, a racial aspect to it or whatever. There's this sort of the idea of an underclass, which we then immediately identify as, well, that's not great that we have this underclass and we're sympathetic to it. Um, I mean, have there been any other sort of responses to RUR that you would say that came later that maybe um, dealt with it in a different way that you're aware of? Um, I would, 
I would say that most of the robot fiction of the pulps in the 30s and 40s was in reaction to RUR in one respect or another. There's um, There are a couple of Robot Rebellion stories, Revolt of the Machines, where it's pretty much a replay of RUR, but with a pulp gloss rather than a sort of downbeat check version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... It, Beyond the pulps, we get into a sort of unspoken influence where people maybe don't know that they're reacting to RUR, but they're still reacting to it. Sort of like in comics with Jack Kirby, you're reacting to Kirby even if you don't know you're reacting to Kirby. Right, right. Because it seems like, yeah, the the idea of... Uh, well, you know, we, you were talking about some of the histories of sort of automatons and, and robots and things and mechanical people or artificial people of different kinds, statues and whatnot. Um, but you mentioned this, uh, this Mexican uh, mystery that has a, an actual rebellion on the part of the created being. And I mean, there's Frankenstein, I suppose, is the other one. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, is there another, maybe another... Uh, part of the spectrum there is there something in between that that uh was that something that people talked a lot about in the 19th century generally of the idea of Um, we could build something and it could turn against us or (laughs) well there was definitely a concern about being replaced throughout most of the 19th century up until war of the worlds when aliens visited they were always higher beings and Mm. it, it was the it, there wasn't any question about where humanity was in the order of things but then you got war of the worlds which was influenced by darwin and so you've got this other race sort of coming in to to wipe us out and you've got the coming race which is also influenced by darwin where you've got a, a another race evolving beyond humanity but i can't really think of very many Story, stories or novels in the 19th century where the artificial beings are created by human and humanity and then wipe us out. Um, it's interesting that in, but in, in uh, Samuel Butler's Erewhon in 1872, the utopia there doesn't have any robots because for fear of being wiped out. So I think there, there's definitely an awareness on some level that the the concept of the created, well, created slave race, for lack of a better term, is tied in with the worry about rebellion of those slaves. Hmm. But that would that would that would also tie into the the history, real life history of slave uprisings in the United States where right. and, and the American consciousness and to a certain respect, the British consciousness of that. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't as big a thing <laughs> for that exact reason. I mean, literally they were going, you'd, you'd think there might be a, a sort of upsurge of, you know, ro- if not robots, then some kind of uh, rebellion going on in fiction in sort of the mid-19th century, and yet 
uh, it seems like that wasn't a huge... I guess maybe the idea of artificially created servants as a sci-fi idea hadn't caught on by that time. Maybe, I don't know. But you'd think that that sort of tension in society would have led <laughs> would have led to something. Is there anything that it comes out in that regard in American fiction? No, I, I can't think of anything. I think it was simply too close to home to really be dealt with. It's like during World War One. You don't find a lot of you find a few stories in the fantastic genres about the war, but it was too close to home. And so most of the people who were writing science fiction and fantasy and horror were ignoring the war and just writing about other things because it was too risky. And it wasn't I I can't think of any any. Well, there may have been one or two American stories or novels about slave rebellions, but on the whole, I think it was just too sensitive a topic for the American reading public to to read about. It wasn't I mean, you, usually you you people use fiction to project their worries and anxieties into a safe place where it can be dealt with in a in an undangerous way, but you can't really do that with the concept of a slave rebellion. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's true. What about um, like something that might have come from the abolitionist point of view, like uh, somebody writing a, a sci-fi or fantastical tale that kind of tried to frame it as, well, there are these people who are, you know, are underclass or are laborers, but, you know, we should be sorry for them. We should you know, empathize with them. Was there anything like that perhaps? Uh, no, that it's, you don't really, you've got some science fiction and, and fantasy work in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, but it really isn't until the late 1860s, 1870s that science fiction and fantasy as a whole starts to take off. And I'll talk about, why why that is when we talk about the coming race but basically there there wasn't enough to constitute a coherent genre before 1871 and what people were writing about were other they they were projecting other concerns into the genres um hmm. it would make for an interesting monograph of some sort, an article or a dissertation or something going through fictions written by abolitionists and seeing how they dealt with the slave rebellions and John Brown's raid and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost want to feel that with, um, with those guys, uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, the abolitionists that they uh, they maybe didn't look to the future and to science fiction as much. They were maybe more, you know, religious. They were looking yeah. more either to the present. Maybe maybe that that's just my half baked theory without <laughs> doing a survey of it or anything. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the other question then is, um, when did we make the jump from uh, organic robots to uh, to mechanical robots? Like when did the idea of an automaton that was scientifically constructed and could do our bidding. When did that start to sort of um, gain traction? I'd say in the pulps, it was, I, I cannot think of very many pulp stories 
where you have an organic artificial being that's a little too advanced a idea for most of the pulp writers most of the hmm. pulps just decided they were going with pure metal of one sort or another or or just uh, artificial beings that could be produced be mass produced in factories um i know there were a couple of robot movies in the 1900s and 1910s and i right. i know that they were mostly big clunky portrayed as being big clunky metal things so it may be that it was both the influence of the movies and simply authors and readers being more able to believe in metal artificial beings than in f- flesh and blood. All right. Um, can I, uh, it must have happened pretty quickly because in uh, 1928 there was a British robot named uh, Eric built that had uh, RUR on its chest. Right. It was a, um, a built for exhibition, so it could be displayed. It apparently could only stand up and sit down, couldn't walk or anything. Um, yeah, Eric the, ro- Eric the Robot. Yeah, so yeah. this was in built in 1928, so uh, it's already they're, they're connecting the idea of robot to the mechanical beings. Uh, also, it should be said, uh, this robot went missing soon after, and uh, maybe it's still out there walking around. Maybe <laughs> well, it gained sentience. Yeah, that's true. Well, when was the uh, Mechanical Turk or whatever it was called, the chess-playing robot? That was 18, uh, 1810s, 1820s. Or actually, no, wait. It may have been 18th century rather than 19th century. The Mechanical Turk substantially preceded uh, RUR. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were a number of, uh, art, sort of pseudo robots built in the, in the twenties there. I found an article from an El Paso newspaper that said, um, I, Robbie, the robot, the mechanical man is coming to El Paso. Hmm. And was very yeah. amused by that. But yeah, the, there were, the Japanese were building robots. Um, they built a tea drink, a tea serving robot. Um, there was Eric, there was the New Jersey steam robot. Um, it was an, it was an era where they were making them mechanically. And that, right. that too may have influenced the, the popular expression of the idea of the artificial. Yeah, because RUR, like I say, the it, it seems very focused on the idea of uh, the new breed of humanity versus the old breed of humanity, and can we spark? So I think that I it, it sounds like he deliberately chose to make them um, organic, whereas he maybe did have an option to make them mechanical. Uh, like it wasn't that nobody had considered the idea of mechanical workers of this nature. Would you say that's fair, or do you th- do you think? Uh, was was do you think that's his reason or um i think he wanted to i think he wanted to take an evolutionary approach more than um right more than a well it's it's allegorical but if you make your artificial servants clunky metal beings 
it's more allegorical than if you make them basically organic biological creations. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he, he clearly wants it to be, he, you know, he wants the Adam and Eve ending at the end yeah. and he wants the idea of they can, they can become something else that goes through the play. Like in the second act, he starts to introduce the idea that humans are, the human population is dropping because they're not needed anymore. Um, Oh yeah, I was very confused by that in the story. That uh, the birth rate just disappears, right? Which, um, well, that seems to it's have not been, explained very well. I, I get the impression that was an issue in the 19th century. People talked about a lot, like the idea of possible declining birth rates. It, I feel like that's come up in a couple of things uh, in the 19th and even the 18th centuries. Or am I completely imagining that? No, no, that was. Um... In my Victorian encyclopedia, I talk about what I call the fin de siècle unease, which was this great uneasiness and fear of Western civilizations becoming too decadent and crumbling from within. And one of the big fears was of declining birth rates and physical degeneracy. So you had all these fears in Britain, for example, that British soldiers were not as tall or as strong or as healthy as they used to be. Um, hmm. And they definitely talked about declining birth rates. They blamed it on the, the new, new feminists who weren't in, interested <laughs> in marriage because, uh, because reasons. Um, yeah. So glad we've moved beyond all that. Yeah. Nowadays, there's, there's currently a racist <laughs> conspiracy theory called the great risk. Great replacement, yeah. Where uh, immigrants led by some sort of shadowy cabal are, yeah, uh, multiplying and out, like outbreeding white people. Yeah. They have not had any new ideas in the last <laughs> few hundred years, yeah, I guess. Right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. That's... Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, you you mentioned Carl uh, um, Capek's uh, religious uh, identity, and I thought that was interesting because there's a bit of that in the. Uh, uh, the character of Rossum, who created the robots, who's not actually seen on screen because he died before the play takes place. Right. But it describes him as a materialist who wished wished uh, uh, to become a god by creating a race of humans, but he failed because they're too complicated and they couldn't survive. So his nephew took over, at, and he was an engineer and simplified the design, right. basically. Uh, to create more efficient versions of humans, but he put it all towards capitalist uh, purposes. Right. Yeah, it's almost the kind of ideology versus no, let's make a buck off it. Where the yeah. two Rossums kind of those were their mm -hmm. uh, their 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 their. their their place so it's i mean it does start off very clearly criticizing capitalism it's not it's not a pro-capitalism play either obviously um so that is a uh, definitely where they're coming from in that regard but oh, yeah uh, go on sorry there's a uh uh not really a movie adaptation but i thought it was going in yeah did you get a chance to see that yes i did okay uh it's called loss of sensation it's a uh soviet propaganda film from 1935 oh, cool. directed by alexander andreovsky mm -hmm. i don't know um it's uh, actually an adaptation of another book i found out afterwards called uh, iron riot or the robots are coming but it uses imagery from rur including the 
letters R-U-R on the robot's chest. Yeah, that seemed to be a whole thing in the 20s and 30s. They just put R-U-R on a robot, even if it had nothing to do with the play, basically. But uh, the play is explicitly pro-communist. The robots never gained sentience, but they eventually, they're built by the capitalists, uh, though it's designed by a communist who wants to stop... uh, uh, capitalism by making everything too cheap and right, um, but uh, which is in RUR too. They yeah, kind of yeah. talk about how oh the price of goods is going to drop so low because yeah. of all the, <laughs> the uh, free but, labor. Uh, in the story, the robots are then repurposed as military things to take down strikes, mm-hmm. but the um, uh, communists ends up reprogramming the uh, or the uh, the communist people, not the original inventor, end up reprogramming them to uh, uh, rebel themselves. They don't gain sentience, but they uh, attack the capitalists, and it ends with all the capitalists being rounded up and killed. <laughs> uh, happy ending, I guess, <laughs> for them. Um, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, that's that's. Uh, how, when was that made, did you say? Uh, 35? 35. Hmm, interesting. So it and would have it, been under Stalin, basically. Yeah, it's not, it's not clear what country it's set in. Um, it should also be... Uh, uh, the uh, character is named Jim Ripple, not Rossum, so it's not a direct adaptation of this at all. Right. But, uh, well, uh, they would have had to, I mean, I think even if they'd said, yeah, we're adapting RUR, they probably would have made all kinds of changes anyway. Yeah, but uh, so RUR in this case stands for Ripple's Universal Robots. <laughs> well, it was it, technically, it wasn't Rossum in the original either. It was like Rossum. Grossondi oh. or something. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be mentioned. This is available on YouTube, so it's interesting if you want to watch it. Huh? Yeah, very cool. And 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 so yeah, so it would basically just you said it wasn't really based on RUR then. It Not really. A, yeah. Okay. Uh, like I said, it's uh, it seems to be another book which I haven't read. It doesn't end with robots. You must learn love. <laughs> no, they they never gain uh, yeah. intelligence. Intelligence. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I have to check that out. That's uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, oh, Phil- uh, I I should take this time to point out some other just little references in <laughs> pop culture. Uh, yeah. The Futurama episode, uh, uh, Fear of a Bot Planet, which takes place on a robot planet called Chapek Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Capek. Maybe it was. Maybe it is Chapek. Yeah, I'm maybe not sure. Been, maybe we uh, they. Them. And I remember them mentioning Rossum's Universal Robots in the commentary. So that was the first time I heard of this play. Right. Uh, as a teenager. Oh. Um, there was an android on the original Star Trek series mm-hmm. in the episode Requiem for Methuselah mm-hmm. named uh, Rainia Capek. Yeah. Yeah. Capek. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Batman animated series had an evil computer named Hardak. Yeah. That was created by Carl Rossum. Uh, yeah. I who was th- voiced by uh, William Sanderson from. Uh, uh, he was in Blade Runner. Yeah, he was yeah. also Larry. Is in Larry yeah, yeah, Daryl yeah. and Daryl from Newhart. Yeah, I missed that. That his name was Rossum. There's also uh, it's a it's a problematic show, but I always kind of enjoyed. I thought it was an interesting uh, show called Dollhouse uh, and the company that in that case again it was uh they were mind wiping people and using them like reprogramming their personalities but the company was called rossum and that as well oh, okay um which i i uh, I, I picked they actually explicitly say late late in the show that yeah i got the idea from a play basically um <clears throat> so that's kind of interesting anyway phil do you have any uh, final questions for uh for jess or anything or uh... well let's let's wrap it up then okay <clears throat> That's it for the podcast and the human race. Uh, Go forth and multiply. We've been Adam Prosser, Podcasting Unit 101, and Phil Rice, Podcasting Unit 00000002. Our special guest was New Model Academic Unit 3409, Jess Nevins. 
who is the creator of the uh, Encyclopedia Fantastic Victoriana, uh, which will be available, the second edition of which will be available soon. Uh, cor- cor- correct, Jess, or am I? Well, uh, we're shopping it to publishers, uh, so it may it may be a while, but it will be out either this year or next year. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, producing slash engineering unit Omicron 15 is Alex Ross. And the theme song was composed by Jack Furick, a product of the Hapsfield Grunsberg Mega Corporation. Until next time, don't forget to keep your batteries charged and destroy all humans. <laughs>